Like, good morning. Good morning. That was good. Well, uh, if you've been here for a little while, you know that we are uh, reading through the, the story Bible together. And uh, if you're new here, uh, welcome. Or if you're new online, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you are joining us. You see, Pastor Jeremy and I aspire to equip you to do the all-important task of living your life according to God's will. And we think that reading the Bible together can really help. And so this week, grab your The Story Bible or grab your home, your family Bible or your little Gideon's Bible or your study Bible, whatever you got, or your iPhone Bible. Uh, open that thing up this week and uh, get into God's Word. We are in chapter 17. We are almost, and some of you will be very excited to hear this, to the end of the Old Testament. <laughs> we, all, we are wrapping it up. We are, it is drawing to its conclusion. It is drawing to its culmination of the birth of Jesus. The whole point of God's story. The only way back to God, our creator. Uh, for millennia, God has been weaving the threads of history together in humanity to this one time, this perfect time for Christ to be born into this world to provide our salvation. That is the big story, but I want to start off with a side story, if you'll indulge me. There were three friends that decided to go deer hunting. It was a doctor, a lawyer, and a preacher. Now, why haven't you told the joke yet? You're starting to laugh. So they're, they're walking through the woods down the, down the trail, and before they even get to their stand, this giant buck appears out of the tree line. Well, excited, <laughs> they all raise their rifles and fire at exactly the same time. The buck instantly falls to the ground. They run over to see just how big this deer really is, and it is massive. It is impressive. Then they notice only one bullet struck the deer. And now this uh, uh, intense conversation ensues. And a game warden uh, comes by to find out what's, what all the commotion is about. And so they explain to him that they can't figure out whose bullet struck the deer and, and took him down. And the game warden says, okay, well, let me, let me see. And he goes over and he looks at the deer and he go, immediately says, the preacher shot the buck. And they say, how in the world can you tell that and, and learn it so quickly? He said, well, it's easy. Just come over here. You can see right here that the bullet, it went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> oh, man, that's harsh. I tell you, Pastor Jeremy, sometimes preaching can be a tough gig. <laughs> Stand up there and preach God's word, they said. Make it meaningful and memorable, they said. Keep it under 20 minutes, they said. Well, maybe you've experienced that, though. Maybe as a teacher or a coach or maybe as a parent. Like the last thing you want to think is that your words have no staying power. That every single word that kid is going in one ear and out the other. 
And yet that is exactly what the prophet Jeremiah is given. And God tells him before he even starts to work. When God says, hey, you're going to be a prophet, you're going to speak my word to my people. And, oh, by the way, they are not going to listen to you. He's basically telling them, you're going to be a failure. In the eyes of the world, you're going to be like the worst preacher ever. Nobody's going to stick around to listen. They're just going to get up and walk out. Thanks for not getting up and walking out on me. And Jeremiah is uh, concerned. If you get to the, uh, if you look back, again, kind of at the history of where we are here in the timeline. Now, what we've noticed the last few weeks is that God has been whittling Israel down to a very small remnant, right? You remember it was King Saul and King David and King Solomon, and there was this one unstoppable, unified nation, this kingdom, powerful and wealthy, and then they split in two. And then the northern kingdom, that's 10 of the 12 tribes, in 722, because of their idolatry, their faithlessness, God allowed the Assyrians to conquer them. And one by one, they were deported and assimilated into the pagan Assyrian culture. Now, there's just Judah left, the southern kingdom around Jerusalem. It's a very small number left now. And 13 decades pass here after this one event, the, the northern kingdom loses. And you would hope the southern kingdom is learned to listen to God's word, to heed God's law, to desire to live according to God's will, but they don't. And so in 586 B.C., the new world power at at that day, uh, Babylon, Babylon conquers Jerusalem, defeats Judah, and leads them away into captivity. When it all came to a head, God kind of pronounced this judgment. Said the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. Because he had pity on his people. Of course he did. And his dwelling place, the temple of Solomon, the great temple where his presence dwelt with his people. But what did they do? They mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And there was no remedy. No remedy. Now, those aren't words that we want to hear from our mechanic, (laughs) much less from the God of the universe. Here's what I want want us to learn this morning. Just because there is no remedy, it doesn't mean that there's still not a plan. God still has a plan. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that, uh, that you're never without hope because you're never without prayer. Well, I'm going to do a, kind of a series within a series. <laughs> this week, another reason why you're never without hope. You're never without hope because God is never without a plan. God always has a plan. And we've seen that now. We have testimony. We can look throughout history again and see the amazing 
complicated and beautifully unified plan of God throughout history. Again, we're about to get to it, culminating in the birth of Jesus Christ, in the birth of his church, his body on earth, and the good news that is being brought to the entire world here today, all because of God's plan, the power that he puts into his plan. Yeah, but how do we really know that God has a plan? Because sometimes I don't see it, right? Well, we're looking at the prophet Jeremiah today. Let's just look at Jeremiah's life as an example. Here's a verse in Jeremiah that is really famous. I think you've probably heard it before. And it's really, it's on a lot of graduation cards. Maybe you've seen this in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? I have plans for you. I'm never without a plan. Plans to what? Prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you what? And a what? Wow! That sounds great, God. Plans to prosper me? Plans to give me hope and a future? Hey, lay those plans on me. I am ready. Well, what you may not be as familiar with is the verse that's right before this one. See, verse 10 doesn't make it on the graduation card. <laughs> right before this, God said, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem, back home. Uh, <laughs> God... Uh, you know, remember that plan to prosper and the plan to, um, you know, your 70-year plan? I, uh, listen, I was thinking, maybe we could do, a, and just hear me out on this. Hmm? How about a 70-minute plan? Yeah, right? A 70-minute I love it. Hey, it's a little more than an hour. <laughs> I still got some time to sweat it out. <laughs> but 70 minutes. Does that sound good? Who would sign up for the 70-minute plan? Yeah, Absolutely. We may not always understand God's timing, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't got a plan. He always has a plan. The big plan for the whole world and universe, and then a plan for each and every life on this planet. Every single minute. God is not surprised by what you wake up to in the morning, or what you encounter in traffic, or in a relationship or in a doctor's office, God is never surprised. Now, this timing may not be what we like, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. It's bigger than us. Now, God, there's this thing that God knew about the people of Israel. It's something he knows about me and you. And that's that what you love will change the way you live. What you desire, what you pursue, what you make your top priority in your life, that'll absolutely change your habits, your attitudes, your words, your actions. But the good news is, the way you live, if it's not pleasing to God, it will never, ever change how much God loves you. See, Judah, like Israel a century before, had forgotten its first love. They had forgotten God. But God had never forgotten them. You're never without hope because God is never without a plan. And God had a plan to bring them back. Another re reason, and looking at still 
only using Jeremiah as the example here. But there's another example of how God always has a plan. This is when we get introduced to Jeremiah. On page 237 in your story Bible, Jeremiah, the first chapter. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you with this very special task that I need you to do. That's true for you. Before you were born, God had the plan for your life. Every minute of your life. Isn't that amazing? Now, uh, Jeremiah here uh, is not so sure about this task that God's calling him to. He tries to make excuses. I'm too young. I don't speak well in public. But God uh, reassures him. He says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my word in your mouth. God reassures him. It'll be God working through him, speaking through him, acting through him. And the power of God will be felt in him and through him and to the people around him. Except that the people, of course, just weren't going to listen. And I don't know if you can imagine, there's Jeremiah already. It's got to be tough, doubting, struggling. Now he's standing in a burning pile of rubble. The temple, Solomon's beautiful temple has been destroyed. And the people of Israel are lined up single file and marched out of the city, marched eastward toward Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's defeated them. They've been conquered. And Jeremiah stands in the midst of this defeat and doom and death and cries out over and over and over again, this is not how it ends. This is not how your story ends. Jeremiah had to remind the people when all of the evidence that they could see, everything they experienced, told them otherwise. God's word is true. It is real. His promises are always fulfilled. Always fulfilled. And sometimes he even had to remind himself, you can imagine. Uh, Jeremiah wrote another book in the Bible. It's called Lamentations, and he wrote during this, during this time. Another famous verse, you maybe know this one. But Jeremiah said, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, this is a, a perfect picture of the nature of God. And I get this question sometimes. Hey, so which is it? Is, is our God the God of the Old Testament, you know, the wrath and the just and fire and brimstone? Or, or is he the God, like, of the New Testament, of these mercies and compassions? Well, of course, the answer is yes. It's both. And we say, well, that doesn't compute. I don't understand. That's because I can't do both, right? I have to pick one or the other. And if I do one, it's at the expense of the other. Now, you think about an example, maybe 
parents. A lot of times there's two parents. Usually uh, one might take on one role more uh, predominantly, like maybe more just, more discipline, and the other might be more mercy, more compassion. But see, God is both at the same time. And it's not just a little. He is completely, perfectly just, and he's completely, perfectly merciful. And we don't understand how that happens, but we know that it's true, the nature of God, because we see it so clearly in the cross. The payment for sin, which is death, the wages of sin is death, that had to be paid. Justice demanded it. And so the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus so that the mercy of God can be poured out on me. On the cross, Jesus takes upon himself the sins of the world and he gives us his his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection. That which is demanded by our holy, holy, holy God to exist with him and in his presence forever. That is the gift that God gives us in Jesus Christ. We're never without hope because God always has a plan, and God's ultimate plan is Jesus. Do you receive that gift? Do you receive his plan, or do you try to make your own plans? Israel tried to make their own plans, and it didn't work out too well for them. And it doesn't work out too well for us either. God says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Even though they're not even real gods at all. There's wood and idols and such. And yet, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Can you imagine how frustrating this is? For God, he's like, just look at this logically. Hey, you can go to the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans. They all have their gods. You can go to indigenous countries, Africa and Australia and Pacific Island. Anywhere around the world, any culture, they all have their little gods. They're not real gods. But you know what? They don't trade them. They don't pick a different god every day. But my people, who know the true God, the creator of the universe, you just... Dance with a different partner every day? Are you kidding? And so he says, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Someone, I think, I believe many someones hearing me this morning are exhausted. They're just wiped out. It is so hard to dig your own cistern. And when you pour the water in, it just seeps right out. You got to go back and lug more water and you pour it in and it seeps right out. 
You're trying to make your own plans or you're trying to find your own purpose through career or pleasure or love. And you can get the fix, but it all leaks out. And you got to come back for more and wait for another fix. You got to keep coming back and keep coming back. And it is exhausting. But it is the best that this world has to offer. See, the world has a lot of things it would like to offer you instead of Jesus. You know, one time Jesus actually spoke to a woman at a cistern, a woman at a well. And he told her that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Does that sound familiar? And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She knew what that life was like coming back again and again. She had been through relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. And it kept seeping out, and it was exhausting. And Jesus spoke right through that. See, he gave her words of peace, and she wanted something better. We can follow our own plans and find our own purposes, or we can accept God's ultimate plan. Where peace is found in Jesus Christ. It's even more than just a, a, a peace like we use it today. Like there's, you know, there was war and now there's peace. It's, it's a bigger picture than that. It's a, it's a fullness, a completeness, a complete fulfillment of, of your life and your purpose. Here's something I want to leave you with. I hope you realize after today, I hope it's in the front of your mind, that you, this is amazing, that you are deeply loved by the only one who can fulfill your deepest desires. Think about it. There's only one being in the world. Jesus is the only one who could ever fill that hole in our hearts. And he loves you so much. He wants to. He would love to do that and loves doing it. There's a, a song, a contemporary song, that has the chorus... If I have you and nothing else, I have everything. Think about this. If I have you, Jesus, and a lousy job or no job, I have everything. If I have you, Jesus, and poor health, I have everything. If I have you, Jesus, but Washington will not call me to ask my opinion on these policies. You know what? I have everything. If I have you, Jesus, and it is a struggle to get out of bed every morning, I have everything. If I have you, Jesus, and I have nothing else, I have everything. Remember, that you are never without hope because God is never without a plan. I hope you take note of that this morning.
Because this is God's word for you, for your life to apply. And I hope that these words don't go in one ear and out the other. I hope it's memorable. I hope it's meaningful. Because my 20 minutes are up. I invite you to stand. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you do have a plan. And God, honestly, God, we wish we understood more about your plan. What is your plan? When is your plan going to happen for us? But we trust you. And we know that uh, these experiences are growing uh, uh, times for our faith and our trust in you. So that uh, no matter what we go through, we we have a a history. We have a, a life that we can look back on and see, point out to times, specific times, God, where you've stepped into our life and you've protected us, you've provided for us. And because of that track record, uh, we trust you with our future. And uh, we are looking forward to our future uh, because we know it's in your hands. So, Lord, for these things, for everything else you know that we need, Lord, please grant it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.